You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Sarah. Well, good morning, Westwind Church at home, and those of you uh, with us here at Dartmoor. So uh, good to have you. Uh, praising the Lord together. Last week, we launched a mini-series titled, Who's Your One? And it's our hope and prayer that everyone who calls West Wind Church home, that we'll very much intentionally and prayerfully engage, and especially ask God to give us one individual as we lead up to Easter and beyond to share the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. So how appropriate what we heard in our children's talk this morning, taking the gospel from Waukee to the ends of the earth. Very cool. Before we dive into our passage this morning, I want to orient you to our website. And so I'm going to show you a few screenshots why to help you understand that we are very, very intentional about helping you engage the who's your one. And so if you go to westwindchurch.org, what you'll find is, uh, again, our website, but then there's a page, who's your one, Click on more information, and then you go to a three-minute video that we crafted just to give you kind of an outline of what the Who's Your One initiative is all about. In addition, we uh, created a manual, a training book, if you will. It's 12 pages. It's in a PDF format. If you haven't downloaded that, please download that. A lot of work, a lot of effort went in to equip you for the work of the ministry. And of course, that's our God-given job description as pastors. The third uh, slide is one of my favorites because you have the privilege to go to our website and plug in who's your one. First name, initials, and uh, it's pretty exciting to see people who are engaging. Last week, uh, right after worship, Uh, We had a gal in our life group submit a prayer request, and here's what she said. She says, I have my one, and I'm praying. And here's the great thing, folks. We can pray together, because you can go to this website and say, I'm going to take 15 minutes, and I'm just going to pray for the people who are listed here, people that we want to intentionally reach out to. If you missed last week or any of the talks, you'll also see on Who's Your One, we'll have the whole worship service. And then uh, down the road, we're going to have a nice 12-minute training video. It's called The Three Circles, How to Share the Love and Gospel of Jesus Christ. So please, if you haven't engaged, engage our website. A lot of good resources. Now, last week, we opened our series, and we had Connor Elmet share his Who's Your One story. Incredibly inspiring, a gal named Becky, and of course, Connor married that Becky. How fun. And this morning, we're going to follow that pattern. We're going to hear from uh, a gal in our church, and she's to my right, Caitlin Lundeen. And uh, let's take a look at Caitlin's story. Hi, my name is Caitlin Lundeen, and I want to share a little bit of my story with you. So when I entered my freshman year of college, I was ready to jump in. I was ready to jump into a small group, into a church, into serving and really just to continue to build on the story of faith that God had already been writing in me from a young age. Um, I crossed the faith line 
and was baptized um, and had already been involved in all sorts of spiritual disciplines and, um, and service. And so I wanted to continue that in college. And so as I stepped into a college ministry, I met this woman named Diana and Diana truly transformed my faith. Um, we started grabbing coffee. She invited me to just have conversation and share life. And Diana is a woman who asks questions and not just easy questions, but hard questions. And she was really one of the first people to ask me hard questions and push beyond my simple answers. Growing up in the church, I had all of the right answers um, and I could make a compelling case for why my answers would suffice. But she was not tricked by that. She pushed past that and challenged me to really dig into um, what I believed and why I believed it. And so amidst college, there were many moments of um, doubt, of challenge, of struggle, of just wrestle. And Diana really met me in the midst of those moments. Um, she was a person who, uh, she had a sweet little cozy cottage in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Um, and a lot of times I would show up with short notice or unannounced, um, especially when I was wrestling through something spiritually um, or if life was just hard. Uh, she also met me in the midst of phone calls, in the midst of coffee conversation. Um, and with that, she helped me understand who Jesus was, that Jesus actually loves me, not just because he has to, but because he wants to. Um, and that all of the things that I was doing, all of the good things that without Jesus, they didn't matter. Um, and so she really came alongside me, met me in the middle of my mess, um, and taught me even practical things, how to facilitate conversation, how to ask hard questions of myself and other people. Um, and she taught me one particular thing that each one of us has a need, a spiritual need that only Jesus can fill. And that's that faith line, knowing him as savior. And also beyond that, we each have needs that come up in life and truly how that need is filled and who fills it makes all the difference. And for me, that was Diana through college and even today. Uh, she's someone that I can reach out to, that I can talk to um, no matter what is happening. And she sacrificed her time, her comfort, um, long conversations. Um, and she later told me that that freshman year when I walked into that college ministry, she told me that it was as if God put a target, like a bullseye on me. Um, and she said yes. She could have said no. She could have not asked me to go to coffee. She could have not um, picked up my phone calls, but she did. And I'm so thankful uh, that she reached out and that God used her to ultimately point me more to him. All right. Caitlin, thank you. Boy, that's rich. And so last week we saw how Becky influenced Connor and a dear friend influencing Caitlin. And folks, we all have the privilege to be that one, whether it's to lead someone to Christ or help them grow in their existing faith. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 15. Very familiar passage to many of us if we've been in our Bible at all. One of the dominant parables that's taught. And we're going to look at a passage today that will pair with what we taught last week from Luke 5. If you remember Luke 5, we talked about a band of brothers who came around a gentleman who was lame in the ancient world lost his dignity, lost his identity, had all kinds of needs, 
And these guys reached out and they did everything possible to befriend him, to introduce him to Jesus, which they did. His life was changed from the inside out. So we looked at kind of the horizontal perspective. Today we're going to look at more of a heavenly perspective. How does God view this idea of who's your one? And I'm hoping and praying today that we capture the Father heart of God as we see how he views one individual. So if you have your uh, Connect card, we encourage you to take notes, digital uh, guide you could download. But let me start with the blessing today. Gaining a divine perspective should compel us to intentionally engage our one. Folks, the application's already written to this talk. It's right there. Once we have the mind of Christ about how God the Father, Jesus, the Spirit views individuals, it should motivate us to engage, to say yes. As a dear saint did last week, I have my one. I'm praying. I'm being intentional. And so we're going to look at three divine perspectives today. And again, I hope it encourages you to move forward with taking the good news to the ends of the earth. So, uh, three perspectives. First one, in Luke 15, Jesus makes it clear that something extremely valuable is lost. This is a dominant, repeated theme in this parable. So track with me. We have one parable with three portraits, all saying virtually the same thing, but climaxing in the end. It's kind of like the aha moments. So now look at uh, Luke 15, verses 3 through 4. So Jesus told them this parable. What man among you? who has 100 sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field, and notice, and goes after the lost one, in a key phrase, until he finds it. Any shepherd will tell you today that a lost sheep who gets distance from the fold frets, becomes hugely anxious, gets totally disoriented, and then enters into a state of paralysis where literally becomes a target for predators. What are the predators? 2,000 years ago, it was wolves, bears, lions, and other shepherds who were thieves who would rip off sheep from someone else's fold. And so, boy, to be a lost sheep is to be in a dangerous place. And so, God the Father gives us perspective of what it means to be lost outside of his fold. We should be burdened for folks like that, living in a state of fret, anxiety, paralysis, and distance from God. What a life to be lived. That's why uh, we have this beautiful picture of God the Father, Yahweh, Coming back from the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verse 11. Track with me. It's such a powerful passage. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. Would you agree that's a beautiful picture? God is saying, just like a shepherd goes out to rescue that lost sheep who's broken, who's fretting, who's paralysis, who's anxious, I, God, Yahweh, do the same for my sheep. 
And then in verse 16 of Ezekiel 34, I will seek the lost, bring back the stray, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. And so what we see initially is we just really see the Father heart of God being poured out through the prophet Ezekiel. And friends, when we think about choosing the one, or ones for that matter, we are emulating the Father heart of God. He has a passion to pursue lost sheep who have drifted from the fold and who are in a dangerous and precarious place. Now, to encourage us to capture how valued this lost thing is, we go to the second picture, the lost coin. Look at verse uh, 8 of chapter 15. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Let me show you a picture of the coin we're talking about here. It's a drachma. It's worth about a day's wages. Doesn't sound like a whole lot, but, you know, it's still a day's wages. It would be equivalent to what was called a Roman denarius. But there's a few more things that may be going on in this passage. We're not sure, but I'm just going to allude to them as I studied it. The other one is this. This could be a part of ornamental jewelry. Because often the women would take the coins and make something special, and it becomes a, a special piece of jewelry, as is illustrated in the photo. Someone suggested this could be a part of her dowry. And when you're saving up to ensure that you have dowry, this is really important. One commentator said just because of the physical setting that's being uh, described here, she probably was a peasant. Regardless of how it played out, this coin, this piece of jewelry was very precious, and she went all in to pursue that which was lost. Now, question. Can you remember a time when you lost something that was really valuable? How many have been in that kind of scenario before? All right, we even got some kids in that scenario. Here's what came to mind. A few years ago, I'm in Minnesota playing at a really nice country club. We wrapped up 18, we're having dinner. I noticed my wedding ring wasn't on. So I just excused myself from dinner. I said to the guys, let me go check my bag. Couldn't find it, checked the cart, wasn't there. Came back to the table, a bit dismayed. I said, I think I lost my wedding ring playing golf. That's a stinker. This was a real good one. It wasn't one of the cheap metal ones today for 10 bucks. Gold, diamonds, money, you know, big deal. So the guy said this, all right, let's pause on dinner. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go hole to hole, shot to shot, we're going to take two carts. Now, hole to hole is not bad. That's 18. Shot to shot can add up, especially if you're a golfer like me. Clint Patterson will tell you what that means. So here's what we did. Literally, two carts went hole to hole, shot to shot, and it's not too hard to figure out. You look at your card, oh, I got a six, I got a seven, I got a three or a four, rarely got a three or a four. But on hole number three or number four, I remember I teed off, it sliced to the right, I could still see the green. Drove the carts there, four guys got out, we're just looking around, looking around. We, we felt like needle in a haystack, this is never gonna happen, guess what? Poof, found the wedding ring. And it was just this cool celebration. And friends, that's what's going on here. This girl had something precious. We don't know exactly, but something precious, and she was relentless. 
But the point is really powerful from this passage. Please don't miss it. Jesus is not ultimately talking about coins, jewelry, and sheep. Although those can be important. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about people. He's talking about your loved ones, your family members. He's talking about your kids, your neighbors, your co-workers, people you run with, your sphere of influence. That's who he's talking about. How do I know that? Let's take a look at the rest of the parable. We go to what I would call, and please don't miss this, the parable of the lost sons. There's two sons here. The second one, the older one, gets forgotten. He should never be, because this parable's written in light of the older son. We'll talk about that at the tail end. But we got a younger son, and I would say, if you're taking notes, he represents rebellion. And folks, that's the narrative of humanity. We've all rebelled, right? We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've trespassed his ways, his laws, right? And as a result, Genesis 3, we're outside of fellowship until God redeems us through Jesus Christ. We're distant from him and each other, and there's all kinds of problems. So the young son comes to dad. Dad, I'm dead to you. Give me my inheritance. Dad does. He goes off to Gentile territory. Party's hard, wild living, squanders dad's estate, everything's gone. And then add uh, uh, another dimension, famine came. And what happens? He's broke, he's got no resources, and he's working for a pig farmer. Think about it. This is an Orthodox Jew in gentle, Gentile territory working for a pig farmer, eating pig food. Finally, he says, you know what? <laughs> Dad's slaves have it better. I'm going home. I'm going home as a worker. I'm going to pay dad back. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to give him what uh, I owe him. And look what happens. Dad meets him. We pick up the story in Luke 15, 22 through 24. But the father would have none of it. He tells his servants, his slaves, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Why? Because the son of mine was dead and was alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a beautiful picture of God the Father. The son of mine was lost, and now he's found. And we're going to talk about the celebration piece but here's the question. How did the older brother respond? He didn't respond very favorably. Verses 1 and 2 set this whole parable up. It's about the scribes and Pharisees who despise Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners. When you eat with someone, you accept them. You welcome them into your home. There's relationship, family, there's community. They didn't want any of it. And the older brother represents the pharisaical heart. Look, if you will, and what I would say, if the younger brother represents uh, rebellion, I would say the older brother represents religion at its worst. Religion at its worst. Because that's what it does. Religion kills. It's about me. It's about my work ethic, my performance, what I do to earn God's favor. That's what the Pharisees were doing. So how does the older brother respond? Look at Luke 15, 28. Then the older brother, can I call him the Pharisee? He became angry. He didn't want to go in. And you got to love this about dad. There's no rebuke. There's no con confrontation. There's no in your face. 
Here's what he says. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Son, everything I've had has been yours. I love you desperately. Can't you welcome your younger brother back? He was lost, now is found. He was dead, now is alive. What is going on in your hearts? Why are you so callous and cold? And so those are the pictures there of the, the sons. One is rebellious who comes home and repents. One is religious and still does not get it. And so what I would like to suggest this morning is this. Some of you this morning could be sitting here at home, here live, struggling. Does God really care for me? Go to Luke 15. See if you can answer that question. He cares a lot because he pursues. He's passionate for you. He's searching for you. That's exactly what happened in Genesis 3. Adam, Eve, where are you? Think about it. Then in Genesis 3, there's this beautiful promise. The seed of a woman will crush the serpent's head. That's the first taste we have of redemption. The seed of what woman? We're talking Messiah, Mary, born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9. And then Genesis 12, if we're still not convinced God cares, what does God do? He goes into enemy territory into Ur the Chaldeans, the Mesopotamians who were idolatrous, who were pagan, and so was Abram and his family, we know, for the book of Joshua. And he chooses Abram. He elects him and blesses the socks off him and says, all nations on earth are going to be blessed through your seed. Messiah, Jesus. Luke opens. We've talked about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah. Then in Luke 19.10, what does the Messiah come to do? He comes to seek and to save lost people. This is his time with Zacchaeus, a rejected chief of sinner. I'm here to seek and to save you. And if we still don't capture it, we jump to Ephesians chapter 1. There's so much there. But yet, one of the capstone truths of Ephesians 1, that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Folks, that's good news. You are valued here this morning. Jesus says there's no greater love than one lay down his life for his friends, John 15, 13. And if we still can't capture it from Genesis to Revelation, it's Revelation chapter 5, who's worthy to open the scroll, who's worthy to break the seal. It's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the lamb from the tribe of Judah. God's redemptive plan, you are valued. Now, by extension, everyone in your sphere of influence is equally valued. Do you believe that? Your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your loved ones. This is the message of hope. Yes, for us, we've embraced it. Thank God for that. I think I know who's sitting here this morning. But what about those people in our sphere of influence? Do we see them through the Father's eyes? Remember, eyes of compassion from last week. And if we do, we would lovingly pursue the one as the shepherd, as the woman, as the father does. Divine perspective, number two. Someone in close proximity intentionally engages. 
And I love this because really what it does is it pushes us to take that next step. Yes, to pray, and that's where it starts, but to be intentional. So where do I get that from? Look again at the uh, shepherd. And by the way, what you have here is you have three unique approaches. And that's why I outlined the talk the way I did. I want you to see the uniqueness of their approaches. And so look at verses, uh, verse 4 of chapter 15. The shepherd does what? Leaves the 99 in the open field, goes after the lost one until he finds it. Friends, that's intentional. But it comes from his sphere of influence, his proximity. Let me show you a picture of just what it might look like in Israel today. It's a beautiful picture But one thing I notice in this passage is, this is risky business. Notice where the sheep are right now. They're not in the fold. They're not in the pen. The hired servants aren't there caring for them. The door isn't shut. There's 99 sheep out in the wilderness, out in the desert, out in the field. He leaves the 99 there to retrieve the one. That's risky. And we talked about that last week. But because of love, because of passion and care, because the shepherd really cares for the sheep, yes, he will enter into that, to that risk. Let me show you a few portraits that come out of the ancient world. This first one comes from 1930s. I have a library of Israel, and this is one of my favorite ones. This is a shepherd retrieving a lost sheep. This morning, I just had the question, how fat or how heavy could a sheep get? Anybody have any ideas? Folks, I thought maybe 40, 60, 80 pounds, like a big one. Guess what? From 150 to 250 pounds, depending upon the breed. That's like a horse. Who's going to put a horse on their back and carry him through this rough terrain? (laughs) This is hard work. And seriously, maybe that's why we just don't engage, because it is hard work to carry these lost sheep along for the distance. It takes time to reach. Yeah, we're thinking about Easter right now, but we're thinking way beyond Easter, folks. Can I show you my favorite one? I love this shepherdess. And by the way, there are shepherdesses. Isn't she cute? My wife's Polish. I call her Bapcha. But see the joy? This little ewe lamb kind of straight away, and she's bringing them back. That is the picture. Now, let's go to the woman, verses 9 through 10. Again, there's a unique uh, perspective that Jesus gives. When she finds it, she calls her woman friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. And I tell you, Oh, I'm sorry, did I jump ahead? Yeah, I jumped ahead. Verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she leaves one lost coin, does not let a lamp sweep a house and search carefully until she finds it? Three things in that verse, in verse 8. Number one, lights the lamp. Number two, sweeps the house. Number three, relentlessly searches until she found it. Now, here's the key. In the ancient world, they didn't have hardwood floors, they didn't have tile, they didn't have linoleum, right? You drop your drachma, your, your, your ornaments, it's just not going to be sitting there on a nice hardwood floor. What did they have? 
It was mud, it was stone, it was very irregular. Why does she have to light the light to, to illuminate the sections of the home very intentionally? Why does she have to sweep? Because it gets dusty and the coin could have got covered. She is all in pursuing this uniquely. Now finally, let's look at the father. Verse 20. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, and here's that phrase, filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. And so, folks, here's the encouragement today. In the ancient world, dignified men, senior men don't run. But think about what's going on with dad. Try to put yourself in the parable. How long was this younger son gone? We get a sense for quite some time. Why do we know that? One, he had an estate to burn. He did, right? Two, famine came. Famine typically just doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. Three, he responds to famine. What does he do? He gets a job. He's working in a pig pen. Four, it took him time to come to his senses. So he's away from home for quite some time. Picture dad. And here's how I see the father looking out from his village the way his son left to go into Gentile territory, and he's watching and he's waiting. And then he sees his son off in a distance. I can picture it in my mind's eyes in some of these villages. And he starts to run. <laughs> Isn't that fun? That's just a beautiful picture of the intentionality. And yet think it through. The shepherd reached his lost sheep. The woman pursued her lost coin. The father's going after his two sons, more particularly this younger one that we looked at. You know what that says? The application point, folks, we can't miss it. You and I, do you believe this, are responsible for our sphere of influence? I can't reach your neighbors, right? I don't know them. Or your coworkers, I don't run with them, right? But you can. And maybe you don't know my neighbors or my sphere of influence, but we can. We can pray for each other. We can equip and challenge each other. We can hold each other accountable. We can do all that for each other. But I promise you, scripturally speaking, you are responsible for your sphere of influence. The question is, are we taking responsibility? And that's not here to make you feel guilty. That's not my style, and in many ways, I can't stand that. But what it should do is, it should spur us on to pursuing intentionally that lost one. And so, who's your one? I introduced you to the website. Last night I went online and I looked at how many names were uh, populated. And we even prayed this morning for some of those folks. And folks, there's about 20 people who are identified right now as who's their one. Wouldn't it be great if we went to 120? or 220, that everyone who calls Westwood Church home says yes to one, just one. That's manageable. We can pray, we can be intentional, we can do creative things, just one. So here's the application. We're responsible for our sphere of influence. We want to pray with you. Go online, make a commitment. Lord, here's the one I'm going all in. Now finally... Perspective number three, reconciliation results in great joy. This is just going to be a fun way to close, and then it leads us to communion. What a beautiful passage for communion. So let's look at the shepherd again, verses five through seven. 
When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. It's a beautiful thing that when someone comes to genuine faith in Christ, there's joy. And what does it say specifically? Joy in heaven. Let's build upon that. Let's take, take a look at verses 9 through 10. The woman, when she finds it, she calls her woman friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, and this is really fun, folks, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. I want you to think about that phrase, joy in the presence of God's angels. Who are we talking about here? Who is in the presence of God's angels? If you read Isaiah 6, Revelation 4 and 5, the angels surround God's throne. Who's joyful in this passage? This is God the Father. <laughs> he is celebrating someone who comes to genuine faith in Christ, who repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus. God the Father celebrates. Heaven celebrates. Man, if that doesn't spur us on, nothing will. And then finally, we close with this. Let's see how the Father responds. And again, I think the sheep, the coin, really climax in this um, picture of father with two sons, rebellion and religion. Look at verses 15, 23 through 24. Then bring the fattened calf, slaughter it. And let's celebrate, don't miss this, it's key to understanding this passage, with a feast. Because his son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Remember what I said about the first two verses of Luke 15? He's a friend of who? Tax collectors and sinners. How did they know Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners? He did one thing all the time, ate with them. In Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, eating a meal, or leaving a meal. They ate a lot in Luke. Why? Here's what meals do in the ancient world. It means acceptance. It means welcome. It means friend. And ultimately, under the rubric of the Eastern worldview, it means peace, reconciliation. It's called the meal covenant. When you sit down in the ancient world at the meal table, there is acceptance, peace, friendship, and reconciliation. That's what the religious leaders despised. That's what they indicted him for. A friend who brings reconciliation between God and man, wicked sinners. Well, isn't that Romans 5.1? Being justified by faith, we have peace or reconciliation with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the gospel. And friends, when you think about this beautiful picture, oh my goodness, to engage like the shepherd, the father heart of God, like the woman who is relentless, and like the father going after not one son but both sons. But isn't it interesting that the rebellious son responds, he was lost and is now found, and the religious, were, it's still open-ended in the parable. So I want to invite our worship team to come forward as we prepare for communion. 
So here live, you have a prepared um, communion cup and bread, and so I want to encourage you to take that out, please. And as we celebrate communion today and at home, please take a moment to get prepared. Be very mindful that God used an individual in your life to bring you to genuine faith in Christ. There are folks who influenced us. I spoke to my mom this past week, and we talk literally every day. And my mom told me she's 86 years old. She says, Keith, the most monumental event in my life was when I gave my life to Christ. That was 41 years ago. How it took place, I was the younger son. I was the rebel. I was living in a distant country. And God graciously pursued me. I came to genuine faith in Christ. Two months after putting my faith in Christ, I was baptized. And again, let me encourage you for Easter, obedience of faith. At my baptism, a lot of my friends and my mom came. The gospel was shared, and my mom walked forward, gave her life to Christ. 41 years later, she would say this, that was the most important event in her life. We celebrated that 41 years ago, but you know what's beautiful about it today? I talk to her every day, and I'm not exaggerating. We celebrate our faith journey as son and mom daily. Folks, that's the picture here. There's great joy, not only then, but today, to think through those who influenced you and the potential of you influencing others. That's what communion's all about. And so I want to take you to a meal table. The meal table started in the Old Testament. It was called the Passover. If you recall, it was all about redemption, remembering the greatest act in Israel's history being redeemed from slavery. Of course, slavery is a picture of our sin. But then it culminates in the New Testament. Jesus meets with his disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. He's celebrating the Passover, but what does he do? He changes it from Passover to what we call the Lord's Supper. And my communion cup is not helping me. So two things. One, Jesus took bread. And again, if you can picture that evening together, it was a meal. It was a meal covenant. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. At that meal covenant, at that peacemaking meal, he takes the cup. And there were four cups there, but the third one was really important. It's a cup of redemption. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, shed in my blood. And so he was doing a new thing, reconciliation between God and man through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so... He lifted the cup, he gave thanks. Let's drink together. I hope today, as we capture the Father heart of God, 
The Spirit of God will work His Word in our life. And yes, we will say, Lord, I have my one. I'm going to begin praying. I'm going to be very intentional. And I'm going to do what Jesus did to seek and to save lost people. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you that you've shown us your heart today. It's very clear that you value us because you gave so much. You gave your son. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have the opportunity to engage our sphere of influence and partner with you in the gospel. And Lord, (laughs) we have to love it. The Father, surrounded by angels, seated on his throne, has joy when one sinner repents, when a lost son comes home, when a lost sheep is found. Father, I pray in Jesus' name you'll give us that kind of hearts as we worship you, as we serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord together.